0: Please remain standing and take out your Bibles and open to Acts chapter 15. Our reading as well as the content of our sermon this morning will be the first 21 verses of Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15 beginning in verse 1. Some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them, the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this issue. Therefore, being sent on their way by the church, they were passing through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and were bringing great joy to all the brethren." When they arrived at Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up, saying, It is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders came together to look into this matter. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke, which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are. All the people kept silent and they were listening to Barnabas and Paul as they were relating what God's signs and wonders as they were re- relating what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they had stopped speaking James answered saying brethren listen to me Simeon has related how God first concerned himself about taking from among the Gentiles a people for his name. With this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After these things I will return, and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David which has fallen, and I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from long ago. Therefore, it is my judgment that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles, but that we write to them, that they abstain from the things contaminated by idols and from fornication and from what is strangled and from blood. For Moses from ancient generations has in every city those who preach him, since he is read in the synagogues every Sabbath. This ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Let's go before the Lord in prayer to prepare ourselves to hear. Holy Spirit,
1: we ask again for your help. This text, this conflict, this council that met long ago is of so much importance to this very day. Help us to see how it applies. For your glory and the good of your people, enable me to declare it teach it by the power of your Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. If you're visiting with us, welcome. We are working our way through the book of Acts. Um, Last time, chapters 13 and and 14, um, they include uh, the first missionary journey of the Apostle Paul and Barnabas. Having traveled upward of a thousand miles by way of boat, and mostly by foot, preaching the gospel. Preaching Christ. Back in chapter 13, verse 4, notice, um, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Now, they made their way from there um, through the greater region known as Galatia, preaching the gospel, turning back again, encouraging all of the churches that were established along the way to to persevere in the faith, to continue on in gospel truth, and finally returning to Antioch, from which, chapter 14, notice verse 26 they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had accomplished, reporting all things that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. Acts 15 is a treasured portion of Scripture, especially for faithful Preachers, pastors, and people of God, for those who realize the need to contend for the faith. Because in every generation, there will be the necessity in contending for the faith, brothers and sisters. Against those from within. And those from outside the church, because it is the free gospel of Jesus Christ that is at stake. Free gospel. Grace, the gospel that gathers a multinational, multi-ethnic, multiracial people united under the kingship of one, the Lord Jesus Christ, in the Holy Spirit, by grace, through faith, in Christ alone. alone. Solas Christas. That's what we see in Acts 15. Now, although many arguments um, within the church really are not worth arguing about, and and I'm glad you're not an argumentative people, by the way, praise be to God for y'all that you're not a bunch of nitpickers, irritating, but quite a blessing. Nevertheless, woe unto the church that will not argue about the gospel when the gospel is at stake. Are you with me? Now, in our text, we see a great conflict. Because of the conflict, a council gathers together and we will see the consensus they come to um, in the end. So the conflict is over no small matter in the faith. Notice, verse one, unless, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Okay, this is not a secondary issue, this is not some in-house debate the question, the issue isn't really about circumcision per se. The issue is about how about salvation, how a person is saved. And, and, and from a human perspective, there there are few questions that are as fundamental as that. You know, I, I've heard guys preach, and you may have as well, that unless You are baptized in this church. Unless you're baptized in this denomination, you cannot be saved. You ever heard that? There there are cults who who preach that. So in in one sense, um, that that is a similar issue in in a modern day context to this one here in Acts chapter 15. Verse 2. Paul and Barnabas had a great dissension and debate with them. In other words, this is a very heated battle. This is big business. Why? Because it is the very enemy of the gospel, the enemy of which is legalism. Legalism. Now, legalism is a term Christians often use, sometimes correctly, most times incorrectly. There is legalism that is soul damaging, and there is legalism that is soul damning. Legalistic tendencies, beloved are part of the sin nature that remains within us. Make no mistake about that. We have a tendency to to embrace certain legalisms that make us feel good about ourselves. But that does not mean, those who do, that they are actual legalists trusting in their own works for salvation. There is a distinction to be made between legalisms that are unwise, harmful, and greatly stressful, and legalism that will send people to hell. Paul makes that very clear in the book of Galatians. The, The gospel declares that heaven is guaranteed only for those whose faith and trust is in Jesus Christ alone, calling people to repentance and godliness. Now, now because of that, this world finds the gospel very offensive, The gospel is is an offense because it absolutely chafes human pride and it declares there's nothing you can do in and of yourself to get to heaven. You need a substitute. Now, since the characteristics of godliness and and holiness are important concerns for, for, for the Christian... Godliness, holiness, we can easily make the, the subtle slide from a determined concern for godliness and, and slip into legalisms if we're not careful. And woe to us if we unnecessarily add to the, the offense of the gospel by distorting true Christianity and combining it with human policies so as to bind the consciences of men. <laughs> Woe to us. Now, unfortunately, many people think that Christianity is a matter of, of, of following rules, many of which are, are extra-biblical rules. That's what they think Christianity is. Well, I thought you're a Christian. Well, I am. Well, I thought you couldn't do that, whatever that is. But where God has given liberty, we should never, ever enslave people with man-made rules. Amen. Now, before we get into the text, um, I want us to consider some harmful, um, unwise kinds of of legalisms that are not soul damning. These are not the soul damning kind of legalisms, um, but those things that, they're just kind of irritating. We can get caught up in them. I read an article this week. Um, and the author um, lists several kinds of legalisms that we can fall prey to, one of which I found rather funny, um, and it's called Facebook legalism. Okay, now, I, I don't, I'm not in the Facebook world, but what he said with regard to Facebook is that many times you'll see this, I, I don't know how you communicate out there on Facebook, but it says, if you really love Jesus, you will share this post, <laughs> binding the consciences of men. Or there's political legalism. Christians only vote for, fill in the blank. There can be legalisms within the church, um, ecclesiastical pride, believing that there is but a very, very small percentage of faithful churches, and in shock of all shocks, we happen to be one of them. If you want to go to a true church, because we are one of the only true churches, you have to attend here. Right? It can be a denominational thing. Unless you marry someone from our denomination, you've basically sinned. Another form of legalism exists... When a Christian sins and doesn't think that they can immediately run to the Lord, confess, repent of that sin, and then continue on with great Christian freedom, but rather they strap themselves to this notion that time is required. Okay, I've committed this sin, I've confessed it, uh, I've repented of it, but now I must churn in my guilt for a certain period of time before I can go to God. That's a form of legalism. There's well-intentioned legalism. Wanting to live a good Christian life, and we ought to, Amen. We ought to, yet doing so in my own self-disciplined, orderly, systematic fashion. Not asking God for help, not asking for strength of the Holy Spirit, not asking him for to guide you, to guard you, to give you wisdom and to grant you discernment from above, but instead, the, the larger my load I have to carry, the better I feel about myself, which is a form of legalism, because I'm so disciplined. There's parenting legalism. I've heard, not here, not here, but I've heard mothers who nurse their children, who think, unless you nurse your baby, you're not much of a Christian. What are you doing with that bottle? I'm heating it up. What is it, formula for my baby? Oh, you don't nurse your child? There's homeschooling legalism. You know, unless you homeschool your children, you're you're a second rate Christian, of course. After all, it's only the the, the surefire ticket is homeschooling if you want smart, well adjusted children who love to read the classics in Latin. (laughs) You know, they quote poetry and are painting masterpieces by the time they're twelve. which creates this self-inflicted pressure to produce the best children that there possibly can be on earth. And therefore, I must be the best mother, the best teacher, the best wife, and the best homemaker. That's a form of legalism. Shout out to those homeschoolers. Amen, moms. I encourage you all. Wherever you send your children, uh, the main focus is that we, we, we train them up in the gospel at home because homeschooling is not an automatic ticket to heaven. Only Jesus is. Now, those may be harmful types of legalisms, but what we have in Acts 15 is soul damning legalism with a capital L that it will lead you to hell. Or or, or It could. Verse one, some men came down from Judea. Okay, remember, they're in Antioch. They've returned from their first missionary journey. They are in Antioch. And some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, unless, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. You know, the most significant issue with regard to the church, the early church, and that which they faced in these early days Regarding the Gentiles, was, you know, where is their place in the new covenant? Particularly, their relationship with the Mosaic law and circumcision was the flashpoint, the sign of the covenant, which I'll talk about in just a bit. So, these Judaizers who were swarming about, especially around Paul, they attempt to impose. Circumcision upon these uncircumcised Gentile Christians in Galatia. And that's the very thing that prompted the Apostle Paul to write Galatians. And and he's fierce in that letter. Normally very tender and mild. He's fierce, and I'll, I'll show you something in a little while. Friends, circumcision never saved anybody, ever, in and of itself. Never did it save. It was a sign of salvation that Israel had. It was a seal of salvation that was theirs by faith. Abraham believed God, we read, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. It doesn't say Abraham was circumcised and therefore he was right with God. No, he believed God. He was justified by faith. Now, circumcision eventually, after Abraham, would come to symbolize both the blessing and the curse of the law. The positive side of circumcision and what it symbolized was that God had cut out for himself from the mass of humanity a people he was consecrating unto himself. The negative side pointed to the curse of the law for all those who broke the law that they would in fact be cut off. So, if I can do this without being too explicit, this male organ was to be circumcised, which was a picture of that which passes on sinful seed, and that was to be cut back, resembling something much greater the human heart, which must be circumcised. This is a symbol. Symbols don't save. But that was what it symbolized, both the positive and the negative side. Look at what Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. When Jesus went to the cross, notice, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. So the thing that was symbolized by circumcision was actualized when God the Father cut off his beloved son on the cross, bearing his wrath, the wrath that is due to sinners laid upon the one who never sinned. He bore that curse, cut off. Imagine hearing the free, glorious gospel message of grace, proclaiming faith in Jesus Christ alone by faith, the fact that he died once and for all, providing atonement as God's perfect sacrifice for sin, embracing the reality, and then turning right around and going back to signs and shadows, are you with me? You see the lunacy here? All of the Old Testament, all of the laws, all of the ceremonies, all of the rituals pointed forward to the one who would come and fulfill them Jesus the Christ. And they go back to shadows? You know, today there are those among Messianic Jews. They believe Jesus is the Christ, messianic Jews who today insist that Christians keep Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. Don't you dare do that, Christian. Don't you dare do that. That's going back to signs and shadows. That's going back to bulls and goats. Are you with me? Backtracking to signs and shadows is exactly what these Judaizers were trying to do. This tramples all over the gospel. The free grace gospel. So after much heated debate, Verse two, I don't know why some Christians think they're being more spiritual when they adhere to these Old Testament customs and rituals. Stop it. I I don't think anyone here is doing that. Pass it on. (laughs) Am I clear? (laughs) After much heated debate, verse two the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this issue. So as they go, this is very important for us to remember, Paul is not confused about this issue, my friends. He is resolutely determined. He's not confused. His letter to the Galatians makes that very clear. There is no doubt in his mind about gospel truth. As a matter of fact, look at Galatians chapter 5 and verse 12 and what Paul says about those Judaizers. I wish that those who are troubling you would even emasculate themselves. How about that? So he takes the sign and the symbol of circumcision, which was a cutting right, R-I-T-E, a cutting right. And he says, basically, I wish God would cut you off and out of the church as you peddle this false gospel. Just go emasculate yourselves as you want to be caught up with this sign. God's plan has been made clear through the coming of Christ, the fulfillment of what all Israel, Israel's rituals meant They're found only in Christ. It's Christ. That's why it's Christ alone. You don't backtrack to signs and symbols, shadows. And yet here, there were many who still adhered to those rituals with with a clenched fist. And they were going around making false converts. Remember what Jesus said about the Pharisees? Matthew chapter 23. Look at it. Verse 15. Woe to you. Scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around on sea and land to make one proselyte. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much of a son of hell as yourselves. You're all going to hell, he says. You're sons of the devil, he said in John 8. You're not sons of Abraham, who God originated the sign of the covenant with, right? Right? No, you're sons of the devil, and when you go around making these converts, they're twice as zealous as you are. Because you see, the converts that they made were attracted to Phariseeism and not to God. They weren't attracted to God, emphasizing, emphasizing outward obedience at the expense of inward renewal. It's always the case with legalism, friends. See, they were attempting as Jesus said in Matthew 9, they were attempting to pour new wine into the ancient brittle wineskins of Judaism, and when it ferments, they will explode. They, as Jesus also said, were attempting to stitch unshrunk material onto an old garment where the patch will only tear away and make the tear worse. This is folly. These things point to me, said Jesus. So they were, in essence, attempting to rebuild Right, the wall of separation for which Jesus had tore down by way of his life, death, and resurrection as described by Paul to the church of Ephesus in Ephesians 2 verses 14 through 18. For he himself, Jesus, is our peace who made both groups, Jew and Gentile, into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances." So that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. And might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have our access in one spirit To the Father. Those who were near were the Jews who had the covenants, the covenantal promises of God. Those who were far off were the Gentiles. It was always God's plan to reach the whole world with the gospel. Amen. That's why we're here today. We've been reached, we've been gobbled up by grace. So arguing here that a converted Gentile had to become a Jew before they could become a Christian by doing this thing. So as a result, the gospel was at stake. That is, Jesus, the very fulfillment of the law and the prophets. He is the gospel. Verse 3, Therefore, being sent off on their way by the church, they were passing through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and were bringing great joy to all the brethren. Here they are, man, preaching on the way. We've got to go up to this council. We've got to straighten this out. Got to set people straight. And on the way, they preach the gospel and rejoice in what God is doing in and through the Gentile people. It's glorious. It's glorious. Rejoicing, notice, as they are in verse 4, in all that God has done with them regarding the conversion of Gentiles. But verse 5, as always, some of the sect of the Pharisees, who had believed, by the way, okay, this is the problem addressed in the book of Hebrews. You have Hebrew people believing Jesus is Messiah. But let's back up and go back to signs and symbols the Mosaic law, dietary laws. Ceremonies and circumcision, which is the ceremony of ceremonies. So for them, circumcision goes hand in hand with the Mosaic law. So it's not just the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, all the ceremonies, all the rituals, all the feasts, all this. So if you want to be a super Christian, basically is what they're saying. If you want to be one of us, You want to be one on the inside, then be circumcised and keep our law, Gentiles. Fool. Foolish. In the Reformation of the 16th century, as Martin Luther stood for the doctrine of justification by faith alone, he said, That it is the article, that is justification by faith in Christ alone, it is the article upon which the church stands or falls. And that's true to this day, my friends. To reject it is to reject the gospel. And that's why he said, Here I stand, I can do no other. Why was Martin Luther a mighty man? Because God in his grace and through by way of his providence empowered him to be the man that he was to stand on that day and in this time. And throughout time, there have been many faithful preachers who went to the stake and were burned by the Roman Catholic Church who denies the doctrine of justification by faith alone. Free gospel Grace matters. As a matter of fact, it is a matter, speaking of matters, this is a matter of life and death, friends. Free gospel grace. That's why people have been prepared to die throughout church history. That's the conflict. Okay, next, notice the council. Verse 6 The apostles and elders came together to look into this matter. Now, here we're shown the value. Um, and the importance of a multitude of counselors. Notice there's elders and apostles. This is not one man calling the shots, beloved. This is not a pope ex-cathedra from out of the chair saying, this is how it's going to be, I say so. No. A multitude of counselors, a plurality of eldership, that's what we see in the Bible. That's why we have deacons and elders here. Amen? Amen? Deacons and elders, it's very biblical. Now Luke notes, there's a lot of debate, there's a lot of talking back and forth here, and then he highlights two. Peter, Simon, and James. This James is um, obviously not one of the sons of thunder because he's been beheaded. This is James, the the brother of Jesus, or we call him his half-brother, So first, Peter, and by the way, this is the last time Peter speaks in the book of Acts. This is it. He's been faithful. We've seen him. We've heard from him. Peter begins with the story of Cornelius and his household, in which, by the way, occurred 10 years earlier. You remember the story, right? A Gentile. In verse seven, Peter says, listen, th- this wasn't some external thing, you know, going on with the Gentiles here. I-, I didn't misread their heart. Notice verse eight, God knows the heart. He knows the heart and he witnessed to it in the way he did with us as well. Right? Right? Namely, he sent the Holy Spirit for them just as he did for us on Pentecost. And what, we, what these Gentiles experienced was a very, a very Pentecost-like event. The Spirit fell upon them as he fell upon us. Confirming what he has done. Gospel-empowered ministry. Verse 9, he made no distinction between us and them Cle- cleansing their hearts by what, friends? By circumcision, right? By what you do. No, by faith. So salvation was, was the same. Those Gentiles were saved by way of, of hearing and believing the gospel, not by obeying the Mosaic law. No, hearing and believing. Believing. And he also gave them the Holy Spirit. Verse 10, now therefore, notice, why do you put God to the test by placing on the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? In other words, the law has never been able to save anyone. As a matter of fact, it condemns. It couldn't save us. It's not gonna save them. Verse 11, but, okay, now catch this. Look carefully at this verse. But we believe, okay, we Jews believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are. They who? They, them, the Gentiles. Did you notice that? Did you catch that? You would think he would say as a Jew, Peter, you would think he would say, I trust that by God's grace, they will be saved in the same way as we are. He doesn't say that. He flips the script. It's amazing. So if you're holding to the sign, you need to be saved in the same way the Gentiles have been saved. You see that? Beautiful, masterful, Salvation is the same for both of us. (laughs) What you need is what they need and that which we all need, and it's faith, not the sign of circumcision, not the sign of the covenant, but the one who fulfilled it. Jesus Christ, son of the living God, faith in him. You know, in our fallenness, think about this. In our fallenness, human beings think that somehow, some way, our deeds, our activities, our rights, our formalities somehow contribute something to the grounds of our justification. Well, oh, I've been going to church all my life. I give to so many charities; it's you'd be amazed. No, it's Christ alone. What the law could not do, God did through the sending of his son. It's faith in Christ alone, man. Verse 12, all the people kept silent. And they were listening to Barnabas and Paul, and they were relating what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. Okay, so here then, These opposers on this day, Paul's not on their side. Barnabas, he's not on their side, nor is Peter. I mean, the brother just spoke with clarity. Okay, how about James? Surely he must be on our side. Hmm, you think? Verse 13. After they had stopped speaking, James answered, saying, Brethren, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first concerned himself about taking from among the Gentiles a people for his name. With this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. Notice, James refers to Peter, spelled Simeon, okay, Simon, that's his Hebrew name, with a Greek twist right there within the name, indicating the direction in which he is now heading, that is, James. A Jew, Simon, Simeon, this Greek twist. How God has taken for himself Gentiles for what? For his own name. Coming and visiting them, the ESV says. Just as he visited Israel in the Exodus. Just as Jesus was sent visiting his people, that is the Messiah. Same word. he has also visited the Gentiles, taking them, notice, choosing them as a people for himself, just as he chose Israel. You see this? For whose name? His name. Notice, that language of God choosing and taking people amongst the nations, that is the constitutional language of Israel that we find in Exodus 19. Now in context of These Gentiles. So James says, what what Peter is relating to you is how all that has changed a people from out of all nations for his name, and his name is Jesus, and the name Jesus means Yahweh what? Saves. God saves sinners. Beautiful. In other words, this is no plan B for God. This, this is no novelty in the plan of God to save sinners from throughout all the nations. This has always been his plan foretold by the prophets. And now he goes on and he cites Amos. He could have cited any one of the prophets, amen? So here he, he, he cites Amos. So, so any way you cut it, so to speak, is the language that is coming straight out of the Old Testament. Notice, I'm going to rebuild the tent of David. Okay, look at the text. I'm going to reestablish, okay, the Davidic kingdom. I'm gonna set a king on the throne of David. I'm gonna reestablish my people. That is, by way of David's greater son, the Messiah, through the line of David comes Messiah. That through his life, through his death, through his resurrection and his ascension, I am rebuilding a people and notice that the rebuilding, my friends, okay, hello, hello, the rebuilding, my friends, is not applying to physical stones in Jerusalem in some future temple. Amen on the right and the left and in the middle, amen. No, he's talking about a people a rebuilding that takes place as Jews and Gentiles are constituted living stones mortared together, rebuilding the household of God from every tribe, tongue, and nation around this planet. It's not a physical building. He's taking Jewish language and applying it to the Gentiles, a one people of God. So, That is to say, God is not making Israel bigger. If that were the case, then yes, everybody would have to become Jewish. That's not what he's doing. Instead, notice, it is my people, it is my people that he is making bigger from every tribe, tongue, and nation, and they, like you, are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone, not Jesus plus you could have heard a pin drop on this day of 11. Silence. Why? Because these Jews now realize, these Jews, they realize that he has equated Israel with the what? Church. The called out ones. The church of Jesus Christ. They are one. As a side note, for some of my friends, dear friends that I have, brothers in the Lord who believe that New Testament baptism replaces Old Testament circumcision, that they claim is, um, as a sign of the new covenant is valid for infants as well as for do- adults as circumcision was. They try to make that argument. If there's any place that argument would have developed, it would have been right here at the Jerusalem Council, when the New Testament church debated right here whether circumcision should still be required for believers, converts, from outside of of the Jewish people, it's amazing that not one time is baptism even mentioned here. It'd be the perfect time. I'm just saying. So there was the conflict that was the council. notice the consensus, verse 19. Therefore, it is my judgment that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles. Don't trouble them with these signs, it's nonsense. But that we write to them and that they, that they abstain from things contaminated by idols and from fornication and from what is strangled and from Blood. For Moses from ancient generations has in every city those who preach him since he is read in the synagogues every Sabbath. Hmm. What does that mean? I can't eat chicken now because, you know, when you wring a chicken's neck, or I can't have a medium rare steak? What is this? (laughs) It's very important, friends, that. The practices mentioned here have a very specific context, very specific, having to do with things that took place in pagan temples, in pagan worship, there would be a sacrifice of an animal and the priest, the pagan priest would strangle this animal and sometimes would transfer its last breath to the sacrifice or or its last breath to the idol that was in place on that day. as as a symbol of life transfer. This is what crazy pagans do. Sometimes pagan priests would taste the blood of the sacrifice, symbolic of the transfer of life powers, right? Life is in the blood. So you strangle it and transfer this breath to this idol, taste the blood as a transfer of life powers, and within pagan temples, there was also a lot of temple prostitution that went on, both hetero and homosexual prostitution. It was a very evil thing, and, in, and pagan temples were all over the place in the first century. So he says, as you Gentiles are coming out, being called by way of the gospel, set free by gospel grace, do not return to things polluted by idols, which is connected with sexual immorality when it was all attached, it was all together, all incorporated together in this evil setting. In other words, now that you've been set free by way of gospel grace, do not get involved anymore with these pagan practices. You've been bought with a price, brought out from among them unto the Lord and don't allow your gospel grace freedom to be used as a license for immorality. Repent, come out. You see this? That's what it's all about. Go ahead and enjoy your medium rare steak. (laughs) Okay. I was gonna say something, but I'm gonna hold my tongue. (laughs) Okay, notice now, uh, also along with that, um, in addition to this obvious Gentile pagan sin practices, fornication, evil, you know, it was terrible. Be, friends, they've been delivered from that. And to this day, God calls sinners from out of every kind of environment. Amen? Free gospel grace. Is anyone beyond the blood of Christ that, that, that repents and believes? No. No. It's in our pride that we resist the grace and say, no, I love my sin more. We're so prideful, so we're punks before the living God, but by God's grace, friends. So he says, don't return, don't go back that way. And in addition to that, there was another application, I believe, that is important here. And that is, by way of abstaining from things strangled, and from blood, those things were Jewish hang-ups. So going back to the old covenant, dietary laws, which have since been absolved by the finished work of Jesus Christ, yet, nevertheless, some Jewish converts along the way still would regard such food as unlawful and as abominable. So what he says here also Other than forsake the assembly of pagan worship, be courteous to your Jewish brothers in how you eat for the sake of their own ignorance and for their weak conscience. A weak conscience is not a sign of maturity. It's actually a sign of immaturity. So show courtesy. That's what we have here. So it would be the modern equivalent of maybe someone who grew up in a legalistic culture where any consumption of alcohol whatsoever is strictly forbidden. I've known folks like that. I understand that. So to drink in their presence would cause them to be offended. So therefore, forsake your freedom for the sake of your, of your brother. It's another thing we see here. So be courteous refrain from this activity for the sake of your weaker brother. Now Paul deals with this matter of sensitivity with much more detail in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and 10. That is about eating meat that has been offered to to idols. You know, P, you know, Paul was like, man, I'm free to eat anything. That idol means nothing to me. However, if I have a young convert with me who's come out of that environment and by me purchasing this meat that in the morning had been sacrificed to a false god, it would offend him. So for the sake of my brother, if that's the case, I'll never eat meat again. But I'm free to do so. That's what we see. Another aspect of, of this command in this letter. So while we are never to compromise on the gospel, there may be other matters of sensitivity that we have to address. Amen? But more than that is the immorality involved with this pagan worship. So what does this show us as we wrap up? It shows us, friends, that the work of Christ, the work of God in his people is a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. Look at at 1 Timothy chapter five. Did I give you that or no? The aim of our charge, oh, there it is, chapter one, verse five. The aim of our charge is love, notice, that issues from a, what? a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith. This is what the gospel produces. What did Jesus say? Blessed are the pure in heart, they shall shall see God. This is a matter of the heart and the work that he does there. Not, Not outward piety. Purity of the heart. What does the psalmist say? Create in me, O Lord, a a clean heart, a a pure heart, not bound by legalisms, not bound by the judgments of others or my mediocre personal preferences. You know those mini legalisms I talked about at the outset of the service? You know what they may reveal? People who are caught up with all these mini little minuscule legalisms, it may reveal a heart that truly does not understand the gospel, The only person who can bind your conscience is God the Holy Spirit. You know, sometimes you'll love someone enough to call them out on on some ridiculous sin. And they'll say, God is my judge. You're not judging them. You're just holding them accountable to their profession of faith. And they say, God is my judge. Dude, we say praise God for that, amen? But have you ever stepped back for a moment and thought about that? God is my judge? That should frighten you, okay? Meaning he knows the heart inside and out. Yes, thank God that he knows my heart. Thank God he is our judge, and all the judgment of my sin was laid upon him. But yet as I walk this Christian life, realize that indeed God the Holy Spirit is judge. Don't let people bind your conscience, but when he does, listen. (laughs) Listen. Application, one application is this. Some things are worth fighting for. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the free grace gospel is worth fighting for. May we contend for the faith faithfully. It may mean really having to have it out. It may mean looking like the bad guy, declaring there is no other way but Jesus Christ. You will go to hell if you reject him. We must be willing to say what must be said. And that is there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name given among heaven among which we must be what? Saved from God's wrath. Look at Romans 3.21. Got two two verses to look at and we'll be done. But now apart from the law, The righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who what? Who believe. For there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Being justified, that means declared free from all blame, justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly is a propitiation in his blood through faith. He satisfies God's wrath. That's Propitiation. Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may what? Boast. Grace alone, faith alone, is that a heavy yoke? Is the gospel a heavy yoke? No, that's no heavy yoke. This is the truth we must contend for. Another point of application There's no heavy yoke placed upon you here at Pacific Hope Church, verse 10. Amen? There's no heavy yoke placed upon you. You are saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, verse 11, just as these Gentiles were. Okay, friends, one thing you must do, you must come to church and worship the God that has saved you. That's your obligation. There's no debate about that. No debate. Is that a heavy yoke? No. No. We have a monthly prayer meeting. That yoke's not too heavy. That's a voluntary meeting. That's no heavy yoke. You're invited. We have voluntary Bible studies. You can attend one. You can attend all. That's not a heavy yoke. This is just offered to you. It's voluntary. We don't put a yoke on you. That yoke's not too heavy. But Jesus has a yoke. What did Jesus say? Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest take my yoke yes he has a yoke take my yoke it's easy it's light and that yoke my friends you know what it brings joy and blessing so if you are here as a christian a professing christian and you have no freedom and you sense that you have no joy you do not feel blessed then it's not his yoke. Are you with me? It's not his yoke. Jesus took a yoke you could never bear. He took that yoke upon himself. That yoke would destroy us. That yoke would send us to hell. And that is the wages of sin and the curse of the law. That's the yoke he bore in your place. That's no longer upon you. You've been set free. Take his yoke. It's easy. It's light. The gospel is free because it cost the infinite one his life. The cost was infinite. He paid the debt. That price we could never pay. Impossible. And that is why the principal act of justification by faith alone is receiving and resting in Christ alone for your salvation. That's the gospel. That's what we're reminded of on this Reformation Sunday and we just happened to be in Acts 15. We did not plan that. I was kind of surprised, I'll be honest with you, I forgot it was Reformation Sunday until about Tuesday and I was like, oof. Contending for the faith in the one true gospel, and this Sunday is Reformation Sunday. Glory to God. Amen? Amen. Rest in Christ. If you're not resting in Christ, I demand, I command you come to Christ by faith, by the authority that's not mine, but His, and you shall be saved. Father, we thank you for the gospel. Thank you for your goodness and kindness. Help us, Lord, to rest in it, to, to bask in the love of your kindness that has reached us with truth. For any, any and all who hear this message today, Lord, grant them the grace to believe, grant them repentance to turn from their sin, to turn from paganism, and turn to you, the living God. For Christ's sake we pray, amen.